Well, aloha. Good to see you all. Hey, you know what's weird about Hawaii? I went there in January and December, and the temperature is no different than it is in July and August. Not bad. So actually, I was talking to one of the brothers in our church yesterday, ran into him over in Jerome, and we were just visiting a little bit, and I said, you know what I think I'm going to do is I think, you know, I'm a junk collector. You know that. It's a disease. I have it. Might come in handy in the days to come. I'm not sure. But one of the things I said to him is I said, you know what I'd like to find is I'd like to find a 737 that we can get cheap someplace. I can load you all on it. Let's get out of here. We'll come back when it warms up or cools off, whichever the case may be. No, it was a really interesting experience. Our radio station went down in uh, Hilo about uh, about a week before I was scheduled to go over there. I said, well, I'll be there in, a, I'll be there in about a, a week, so we'll just fix it when we go over there. So I'm there. I'm go- we got there. I was there on a Sunday. Pastor friend of mine from Sure Foundation, Cal, uh, Joe, he said, well, I'll go up there with you and we can work on it. And I said, okay. So we get in the car. We're on our way. We're driving up there. We're at a stoplight. I'm sitting there. A girl behind me falls asleep, plows into the back of us, sends our car into another car. And Joe goes, whoa. And I go, hey, listen, this happens all the time. And he goes, what? Anytime you do something for God, expect undercurrent. Friends, it's just the way it is. And seemingly innocent things can cause an undercurrent. We're going to talk about that today as we've been looking at the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Now, when we find something interesting is that we by ourselves are pretty ordinary, but you put God in you, you become extraordinary, and God will use you in extraordinary situations. Friends, you and God, or a majority in any situation. Never forget that. This book was written not to keep you out of heaven, but to get you into heaven and God to get heaven into you. That's really important when we stop to think of God's overall design for us is to get people into heaven. Well, we remember in Acts chapter 2, as we've been going through the book of Acts, this morning we're in Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. And then we're going to go into the first part of Acts chapter 6. As the early church is now maturing, it's beginning to grow. And I believe these are things you're going to find in any church, any situation, and that we need to be mindful of. As the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, ordinary people, now extraordinary because of the Holy Spirit. They were empowered. The church begins to grow. All kinds of things are happening. And chapters 5 and 6 are interesting to me because it's like the beginning, really, of the onslaught of the devil against whenever you endeavor to do something for God. We remember in Acts chapter 5, we remember that the disciples were healing people. The Sanhedrin, the organized religion of the day, became incensed over it. They were outraged. It says they wanted to kill them. Why? Because they were doing good deeds and miracles, which they could not do because they didn't really, they knew about God. They didn't know God. This is one of the great problems today in religion. They know about God, but they don't know God. 
Christianity is one of the most different faiths in the world because every other religion teaches you about God where when we find who we, as we study God's word, it's a relationship with God. God in you. Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. Well, as we've been looking at this, as we've been going through in Acts chapter uh, 5 and 6, <clears throat> we'll pick it up here, uh, a little bit of review, because I think it's so important. So before we go to God's word, let's pray. Father, may you anoint your word. Your word says, Jesus, you said in this book that we live by every word that proceeds from your mouth through this book. And so we ask you now that when we remember it, you would anoint it, you would cause it to become part of us, and Lord, that it would strengthen us in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. They shared their faith. Doesn't say this time, just John and Peter. Now it says the apostles were doing these things. And as they were doing these things, the organized Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees became full of anger. It says in uh, Ignatian verse 17, they were filled with this ignition. They were just angry with them because of the, they were jealous of what they could do that religion can't do. Well, when we move down to verse 27, and they were arrested because they were doing these good deeds, they put him in jail, and they went to get him, and they weren't there. So they went to find him, and they found him back preaching in the temple again. So they kind of rearrest him, bring them before the council. My question, if I had been on the council, is how did you get out of jail? But they didn't even ask that. They were so angry with them, obvious miracles they couldn't even see. Well, notice it says in verse 27, and when they brought them, this was after they were rearrested in the temple for preaching about Jesus. They brought them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, and again, I would say, how did you get out of jail? Pass those guards and everything. That, to me, would have been a normal question. But you know, when you're blinded by greed and jealousy and, and power, You miss obvious things. So notice what he says. It says, The high priest asked them, saying, Did not we strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Again, religiousizing their wickedness. You'll find a lot of people do this. I've talked about this before. Um, James and John, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to die. He says, go get us a motel room for the night. They came back and said, Jesus, no one will give us a motel room. Do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? Because you can't get a motel room. I can just see Jesus working with them. Love your enemy. Do good to those that persecute you. Uh, Turn the other cheek. Love one another. And because they can't get a motel room, they want to call fire and brimstone down on the town. Okay. 
That wouldn't be so bad, but the next thing they said was, like Elijah did. You know, if you want to do something wicked, always wrap it in a religious package. Well, that's what they were trying to do. Notice the, 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 uh, the high priest did the same thing. He, he, he was saying, you're going to, you, you filled all of Jerusalem with your doctrine. By the way, friends, what great insight. Their ministry was effective. You know, sometimes you won't know how effective your ministry are till you hear the chatter from the underworld. Isn't it amazing? They have filled all of Jerusalem with their doctrine. Wow, that's pretty effective. And you're going to have this uh, man's blood on us, speaking of Jesus and all the great things he did. So you're going to, you got to, you got to make it look evil. These guys would have been good politicians. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we must, literally the word ought, the word there in the original is the word, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree to be the prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Very clearly, they they attribute the power in their life to the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you've not asked God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, that empowering, where if you're still meek and timid, concerning sharing your faith, you may ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. That's that boldness. That's that power that comes from him. Now, when they heard this, the Sanhedrin heard this, the religious leaders of the day, they were furious and took counsel to kill them. Then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them, the apostles, to be put outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be of somewhat. A number of men, about 400, joined with him. He was slain, and all those who bade him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, there was a guy named Judas of Galilee who rose up in the days of the census, drew away many people after him. He also perished and all those that followed him were dispersed. Now I say to you, keep away from these men, leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it's of God, you cannot overthrow it lest you be found to be fighting against God. Gamaliel came up with some pretty good wisdom concerning the disciples. Now, something interesting about Gamaliel, he was a Pharisee, the Bible says. And you couldn't bring the death sentence against an individual without the Sadducees and the Pharisees agreeing together for the death sentence. This is what happened to Jesus. Well, when Gamaliel, a Pharisee, said, look, we're not in your camp here. I'm saying you leave them alone. Let's see what God's going to do here. Give it some time. The Sadducees then knew they didn't have a quorum. They didn't have enough votes to put them to death. So instead of doing that, the next verse, verse 40, and they, they agreed with him 
And when they'd called for the apostles and beaten them, the word beaten, beat them literally in the Greek means to fillet or, or, or literally tear the skin off their backs. Um, they were beaten 39 times, most likely. Unlike Jesus, who was beaten by the Romans, who did not have the 40 minus 1 for mercy law that you find in the Old Testament. They were beaten by the Pharisees, by the Jewish sect. And so 39 lashes, many people never lived through the beating. But why were they beaten? Just because they had a testimony that Jesus loves them and he was the Messiah. No longer through the through uh, the blood of bulls and goats are you brought close to God, but now through his own dear son. You got to think about this for a minute. When something doesn't make sense, friends, it doesn't make sense. Why would anybody beat and try to kill people simply for telling people about Jesus? Doesn't make any sense, does it? But when you realize the God of this world, Satan is alive and well and very busy on this planet. And what he tried to do to the disciples through discouragement, through persecution, did it work? It says they were beaten. Their backs were laid open. Notice it says that they were charged that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So the, they departed from the presence of the council and they said, okay, we won't do this anymore. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Can you imagine the Sanhedrin beating the apostles thinking now, now we'll see how they do. And they send them out and they walk down the street with their backs bleeding, singing and praising God. Didn't work. You, you see, the devil tries to, to deter us through different ways. Now, when one tactic of the devil doesn't work, he'll change his tactics. We're going to see that in the very next, next chapter. Notice what they did, though, when they were persecuted. Friends, this is so important. If we go back a couple of chapters, when Peter and John were persecuted and they were beaten... They got with their brethren, and their brethren encouraged them. You need each other. I believe, again, we're going to need each other more in the days to come if the Lord tarries. I see what's going on in the world right now. You have Putin talking about preparing for global nuclear war. He said three weeks ago, we've already started World War III. When you stop to think of the carnage that will be a result of this kind of behavior, friends, globally, they said if America and Russia got into a war, five billion people would starve. Now, when you stop to think about that for a minute, and then you look at the numbers of death in the book of Revelation, where it says that uh, one third of the world's population dies in the very first part of the tribulation period. And by the end of the tribulation period, two thirds of the world's population is dead. We're going to see something of this nature. Now, whether brought on by God through the judgments that we find in Revelation, or whether it's brought on by man just blowing each other up, I don't know. But I know we're at a time different than any other time. We all are aware of the inflation issue. 
Our government just elected to spend another $1 trillion, another trillion in debt in the, what was it called? The uh, Inflation Reduction Act. You spend a trillion dollars to make inflation go down. Boy, friends, if this works, they know something about money that nobody in the history of the world has ever figured out. Every time they spend a trillion dollars, it devalues your money, which causes inflation. Duh! They don't get it. Then when you stop to think, out of this, they hired 87 Thousand. Now think about a Super Bowl game. All those people in the crowd, more than that in the crowds, IRS agents to come after you. A defected IRS agent, according to the New York Post, he uh, was an informant. He said this 87,000 is targeted at the middle class of America. Now, friends, we have some real issues. We're going to need each other in the days to come. People say, well, you know, I'm a rock. I'm an island. I'm a spiritual Winnebago. I, I'm self-contained. I go anywhere I want. I got my little poodle dog at the end of the chain. I go wherever I want to go. I don't need anybody. No one needs me. Let me tell you something. I think those days are going to close out. I think you're going to need, we're going to need each other like we've never known before. For survival, friends. They said because of the water shortage in uh, southern states, uh, the Colorado River, now at all-time lows since it's been filled. They said it's going to uh, limit uh, vegetable production, food production, uh, beginning this fall. Famine is on its way. And it, it's interesting, the Bible talks about famine in the first part of Revelation chapter 6 when the tribulation begins. Now, one of the good news I believe here is that I believe Revelation is written in order. You find the age of the church, chapters 2 and 3 of the church. Then you find the church in heaven. And then you find cataclysmic things breaking out on this earth. I pray that you're ready. If the Lord was to come today, are you ready to go? I don't know how long God's going to leave us here before these things happen. But I do know this. We want to be about our Father's business. We want to stand for what's right. And if they beat us, they beat us. If they don't, they don't. But we have to remember the devil is always out making an attack on those who love him. And whether it's this early church, our church, the church in general, I'll tell you, friends, it's there, it's real, and the devil is alive and well on the planet Earth. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Jesus wrote this book to get you into heaven not to keep you out. Now, as we look at this, we find, and in the temple daily, in the temple, every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Lay their backs open, didn't work. I believe the devil changes tactics. Now, when we go to chapter 6, we see a change now. Notice it says, in those days... The number of the disciples was multiplying. And you know, whenever anything multiplies, it presents new challenges. And I think sometimes even things that are innocent in their inception, 
The devil can try to whip it in to a major problem. You think about sometimes fights within your family. You think about fights within your friends. Something that was innocent was taken wrong, and now it becomes a major problem. I believe the devil is behind a lot of these things, and certainly what we see here. The church was multiplying, and there arose a murmur, a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in their daily distribution. Now you say, well, what's that all about? Okay, first of all, because of Old Testament law, God used through a lot of the ties in the temple to take care of the widows and the orphans. This is what the temple did in the Old Testament. This is what many people believe the temple was still doing. But when people became born again, the Sanhedrin didn't want to have anything to do with the Christians. Now, it's interesting, again, because they claim they had a relationship with God, yet they killed Jesus. They claim they had a relationship with God, but they were very prejudiced, and they would not help those people who had become Christians. Now, you had two groups. The Hebrews, which were people that came out of Judaism into Christianity, understanding the promises of God. And you might say that Paul was probably a person like this. He was Saul before the Lord changed his life. But he, he, was, he was definitely a person that reckoned the Old Testament scriptures now as a Christian reflecting that they meant and were speaking about Jesus. And then you had the Hellenistic Jews. They were Jews that were scattered throughout, yet they did not really claim much of a relationship with Judaism because they were influenced by the Greek Roman culture, yet still Jews, but nevertheless, they both had accepted Christ as their Savior. Now, for some reason, they felt that there were some favoritism being showed here. And again, these things that sometimes start innocently become major problems. Well, I think that person's being treated better than you are. Well, I do too. And Now, stop to think about this. You go back a couple of chapters and the church grew and they were in one accord. They were all together. They were happy. They were grooving together. Jesus is great. We get to chapter six and now there are schisms in the body. Schisms are never a good thing because one says one thing, one says something else. And so we find this issue coming up. How do you deal with it? Now, real quick, the Word of God is for you today. How do you deal with uh, schisms in your company? How do you deal with schisms in your home? How do you deal with issues like this? Well, you just ignore it and it just goes away. Really? I've never seen that happen. It seems that if you ignore a problem, what happens? It gets worse. We're not taught in the Bible to ignore problems. We're taught in the Bible how we deal with circumstances, not only within the church, but within your home, within your company, everything. Everything you need for life and godliness is in the Bible. You eliminate God's word from your life, you're going to find you're making wrong decisions, wrong choices. Well, that's what's going to happen if you don't. Notice verse 12. 
They Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we would leave the word of God and serve tables. Uh, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What do you find here? You find distribution. You find delegation. Now, friends, there's a lot of problems. A lot of people, especially if you have a business, you have problems with delegation, don't you? Why? Because, well, they're not going to do it like I do. I can guarantee you, you delegate something to somebody else, they're not going to do it like you do it. Dads, you delegate mowing the lawn to your son, he's not going to mow the lawn the way you're going to mow it. They said expect at least a 20% less outcome when you delegate something to somebody else. So in other words, they're only going to operate at best 80% of what you could do. But here's the thing you got to look at. That gives you 80% more capability to go do something else. And that's exactly what we find here. A problem arises. I believe the devil was using it to try to cause division. And rather than the disciples ignoring it, using wisdom, saying, okay, let's go find seven people that we can put over this matter that will take care of it. Because it's not good for us to leave the things of God to wait on tables. Now, it isn't that the the disciples were less than, or, oh, this is beneath us. We don't wait on tables. We're upper echelon. I don't believe that. I believe just believe they were busy. They couldn't do it all. And it's the same way it is in church. I mean, mean, we all do whatever needs to be done. You know, I go into the bathroom, and some kid's been in there and thrown towels all over. I don't just leave it. I clean it up. Uh, we, we all do those things. There's no job above us or beneath us. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a, be a servant to all, not just those you like. If you want to be great, be a servant to all. We want to do that. We want to show that kindness and love. Because I believe that counteracts the work of the devil in a situation. Remember, the Bible says he's the enemy of your soul. And the Bible says, he's like a roaring lion, Peter says, going about seeking whom he can devour. All he waits for you to do is drop your guard and he'll try to pounce on you. That's the way the devil works. He said, well, that's not fair. You're right. He doesn't play fair. He's out to destroy you. He's out to kill you. As a Christian, you have to realize you have a real, genuine enemy. But I want to share something else. If you're not a Christian... You have a real, genuine enemy, the devil, to destroy you. And he doesn't care what he's got to do to cause you to miss Christ. He will do whatever he's got to do. If it's money, if it's selling your soul to the devil, whatever it might be. You know, this past week, we've seen a lot of famous singers die. And they said at their death, they were worth 6.9 million, all for nothing. You ain't taking it with you when you go. They had the whole world, but they lost their own soul. 
And when you listen to their philosophies that they sing in their songs, when they, when you listen to what they stand for and what they represent, if you follow those idealisms, it will destroy your life. The devil doesn't care. He doesn't play fair. And a person without Christ, you're out trying to navigate through a world controlled by the devil in order to keep you from having eternal life with Christ. That's what the word of God says. People say, well, I don't believe in life after death. I just believe when you're dead, you're dead. Well, you got to ask yourself, do you feel lucky? Because if there is a chance, one in a hundred million billion, that there is life after death, and we'll stand before a God and give an account of our life, which I believe this is the reason why we're here. The Bible says... You'll be rewarded eternally for what you've done for the king or punished eternally for what you didn't do. We have a real enemy. We have to realize that. God gave us his word to help us walk through a world circumspectly redeeming the time the days are evil and knowing how to manage situations whether it be at church, whether it be in your home, whether it be in your business, whether it be with your friends. There was a problem, a dispute broke out. How do we deal with this? What was this dispute over? We don't have enough time to wait on the tables. This group of widows is going without. This group of of widows is is angry. They used to be taken care of by the Sanhedrin, but but now because they belong to Jesus, the Sanhedrin doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And so now the church takes care of them just as the Bible says they should do. And so what do we do? Therefore, brethren, seek out among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy spirit wisdom that we may appoint over this business but we will continue to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word and the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen a man of faith and the Holy Spirit Philip Procurius Nicmor Timon Parnius Nicholas a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, again, to first of all, let everybody know these are who we're going to listen to. God's going to give them wisdom. And then it says, the word of God spread. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many and great many of the priests were obedient to their faith. And Stephen was full of faith and power and did great wonders and signs among the people. Here he starts off just waiting on tables. Now God's raising Stephen up as a person of great power and faith doing miracles. Friends, everything begins somewhere. And I know sometimes we want to go from zero to 60 in two seconds, and you can't do that. Your face would slide off. God builds us up, and we, the Bible says we add faith to our faith. We add precept to precept. We grow in our relationship with God. And that's how God uses us. The church had a problem. They came up and said, look, you select from them. Now, by the way, interesting here, 
Six of these people that are picked have Greek names, not, not Jewish names. So evidently, they picked six that were Hellenists that had converted to Christianity. And so Stephen, we find here, Philip filled with the Spirit, filled with power. Now, God's going to begin to use him. Now, again, it all starts somewhere. And God says it starts with a relationship with Christ. You know, we live our lives before we came to Christ doing a lot of very foolish, silly things. The good news is God is bigger than the things that we've done wrong. And this morning, I just want to encourage you, God will heal those scars of your past. Not only when we have communion, because Peter says, by his stripes we're healed. And friends, a lot of, this, a lot of the, the cuts in our lives are not health issues. They are in our memories and the way we think and our ability to love and to be loved and all those things. But God begins this restorative process in our life to heal us and restore us and bless us. You look at the disciples with all these different backgrounds. You remember Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs. He was an IRS man for the Roman government. A Jew sitting at the receipt of custom. Jesus just walks up to him and says, follow me. You know, the Bible says that Matthew just dropped everything and followed him. You know, maybe, maybe it was just every day got upset in the thing and just says, I hate my job. Nobody here likes me. I'm a tax collector. Uh, going through all this stuff that he was doing. And a guy comes along and says, follow me. And he drops everything and goes. You know, maybe that's what Jesus is saying to you today. Are, are you tired of your life the way it's been? Maybe the Lord would say to you today, in fact, I know he is, follow me. And you know what? God says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Same thing he said to Peter and John. Same thing he said to James and, uh, and John, sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee. They were revolutionaries. Can you imagine the campfire chats? You have James and, and, and uh, John, sons of Zebedee, they were revolutionaries to get rid of the Roman government. And here's Matthew sitting there, ex-IRS agent. Oh, I can't imagine the campfire chats. Yeah, you think about that for a minute. You know, well, we wouldn't be in the problem here if it wasn't for you. Yeah, well, I had to do this because it was my job. And yet Jesus united all of their fragmented hearts, healed their past, and gave them a new start. Friend, that's what you need today. You need a new start. You say, well, Mike, I've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. You need a new start. You need a new start every day. You know, it's funny, King David, who knew the Lord really well, in fact, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, he said this, he said, his promises are new every morning. Why do you think it says that? Because, you see, we, we need a new refreshing from God every morning. And remember, whenever you do something for God, you're going to see the enemy come against you. Again, whether it's chapter 5 of the persecution of the apostles, chapter 6, the attempt to divide and conquer by the devil. The devil's always busy. But if you're in Christ, you have that leg up on him and you need that. 
Remember, people say, well, I'm not a Christian, so the devil isn't after me. Oh, yeah, he is. You know, you look at what the devil does to people to keep them out of heaven, fame, fortune, drugs, debauchery, whatever it is. And they go and they leave this earth to go into an eternity without God. Uh, Again, I, I couldn't help but notice that this past week and a half as I've seen some of these very famous people die. And all the fame and all the glory and all the things that they had in this life just now doesn't mean anything. How much better would it be that you're about your father's business? And somebody is just simple as waiting on tables like Stephen, for instance. Now all of a sudden God begins to use him. Again, wonders and signs he did in front of the people. You see, God will move you far beyond what you ever dreamed possible. Because it's not something you do, it's something God does. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want want you to consider Jesus. You say, well, I don't want another 10 years like I just had. You will if you don't accept Christ. Well, I don't want another two years like I just had. You will if you don't accept Christ. His promises are new every morning. You need that. We all need that. So if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you've had enough. You say, Uncle, I repent. I don't want to live the way I've lived anymore. We're going to pray right now, and you can ask Jesus to come into your life and change you. And the Bible says he will because he loves you. Again, the Bible was written to get you into heaven, not to keep you out. And God's heart is to put heaven inside of you. If you've never received Christ this morning or you're a Christian and you believe the lies of the world and you've drifted away, I just want to welcome you home today and let's come to Christ and let him, let us renew our commitment towards him and be about our daddy's business in these days that we live. So if you need to pray, let's pray together right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died on the cross for me and your blood covered my sins. So I ask you now to be my Lord and my Savior. And I repent of the foolish way I've lived. And so from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. And I repent of all the stupid things that I've done. So now time I have left, I commit into your hands. Write my name in your book of life, that I spend eternity with you. Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that Jesus came and died for me. And so I ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.